Good morning, Valley Bible Church. It's so good to see you, to see other faces this week and some of the same from last week. What a, a joy it is to worship. Um, as the psalmist said, I must praise him in the midst of the congregation. It is incumbent upon us to come together and to praise him together. So it is so fantastic to see you all this morning, and, and we look forward to the time in which we will all be back here and um, we will be able to worship in spirit and truth the way God has designed it to be. At any rate, Ray, it is so, so good to see you. And um, what a year this is, huh? 2020, man, a year that will go down in infamy, truly. Um, we thought last week was bad, um, or the week before last, this week was bad as well. <clears throat> we wonder what is going on. With our nation and with our world, it's not just the United States, it's the entire world, seems like, is on fire. So we should pray, should we not? We must pray, and that is what God holds us to. So would you join with me this morning as we pray for God's grace for our lives, for our church, for the church at large, and also for our nation. So join with me in prayer, please. We praise you, O Lord God, for you are high and holy and lifted up. The heaven is your throne, the earth is your footstool, and you are sovereign and in control. Forgive us for forgetting that and being troubled in our souls. Forgive us for looking at the world and being shaken. But you are about to shake all things. Heaven and earth will shake. And your son will come back. And that is our hope. And that is our destiny as believers in Christ. We pray that we would live with joy. In spite of all that is going on around us. In the meantime, we do pray for our leaders, for our president. For our elected officials at every level. Our mayors. Our state representatives. Our governor. And we pray for our law enforcement officials as well, for our protection for them. We do pray for true and honest, equal justice in the United States, in this world. Yet we know that we live in a broken world. And we pray for the time and the day when Christ returns and real justice will roll. We thank you for that promise to us as believers, and we pray that you would calm our fears and you would help us to rely upon you as faithful human beings, as faithful believers in Christ who depend upon you at all times. Bless us with your word this morning, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you wondered this week whether there is justice in this world? We have to ask that question, don't we? I mean, where, where is justice? I, I think the, the question that God turns around to us is, uh, will the Son of Man find faithfulness when he returns? And that's what's required of us. But you wonder about justice. Uh, uh, when I saw the video of the killing of George Floyd, it was, it was horrible. How in, unjust that is, how unjust that was to have one human being kill another human being on, live on camera. Um, one made in the image of God, killing his brother made in the image of God, an image bearer. Um, I don't know what was in the heart of that policeman, whether it was racism or what it was, but it was unjust. And certainly there is racism in our, in our world and in our nation. Is it systemic? What is systemic is sin. Sin of all kinds. Racism is a, an, an irrational dislike of someone because of their skin color or their, their language. It's, it makes no sense. It is irrational. And yet it exists, and it is, uh, it is rampant, just like, you know what else is systemic? Anger, violence, immorality. 
many, many things are systemic because the world system, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is broken and bent towards sin. And the only hope is Jesus Christ. That is the only hope. And that is the hope that we look forward to. Will there be justice for George Floyd? Um, I think in, a, in the short term, there was no, no justice the day that he was killed. But I think that there will be justice in court. But you know what? I'm a cynic about that. And you know why I think there will be? Because it was caught on camera. Had it not been, who knows? Courtrooms make mistakes. Judges make mistakes. Juries make mistakes. People are prejudiced for many reasons. So will there be justice for him? Probably. But will there be justice for what has ensued? The, the, the justice, that the sad thing I'm thinking that everybody agree with is that the justice of George Floyd is lost in the chaos. It's lost in the chaos. So will there be justice for the shop owners? who lost their livelihoods? Will there be justice for the, I, I, it's probably up to 20-something now, people, other people who have lost their lives because of this? Where else is there injustice? Will there be injustice for the 900 African-American babies that are, that are killed in the womb every year? 900? You know that there are more Abortions in the African-American community than there are live births. I was shocked, shocked this week at an injustice that the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, ruled against our religious liberties. And I, had to, I was pulling my hair out and shocked and disappointed that that was unjust. And it was. I never thought I would see the day when our constitutional freedom, the First Amendment, the freedom of religion would be so easily swept away by the highest court in the land. It feels to me like our enemy has his knee on the back of the neck of the church and wants to extinguish from us the breath of his spirit of life. It will not happen. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there, moving from pessimism is hope, right? We have hope. We do not despair. Our hearts don't need to be troubled in, in the face of all of the injustice in the world, whether it's racial or toward children or toward policemen or toward uh, shop owners who are innocent or whatever it may be. Our God reigns, and his church will survive, and the, the breath of his spirit of life that lives in us cannot and will not be extinguished. We must stand firm. And so we turn back to our passage this morning, which really ends up being mostly about justice. That is judgment. Real justice. We have to wonder whether we want real justice or do we want mercy. As Chris told us last week, this is about like father, like son, and this section between um, verses uh, 19 and 47 is about the, the equality of the father with the son. Like father, like son, they are co-equal, co-eternal. They share the same essence they are part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes before these Pharisees, and he is claiming to be God. And remember how this whole passage started in verse 18. said, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Why would he make himself equal with God? Because he's equal with God. And boy, they did not like that. And this is the thing for which he will be crucified. That he makes himself out to be God. That is, not makes himself, but he declares who he is, who he really is, because he really is God. 
And we left last week with uh, verse 24 that said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And the theme, themes that we saw last week, the, the themes of, of, uh, of life and resurrection and judgment are going to be played out in the actual ministry of Jesus. Jesus is establishing himself in this section as the divine son. He is God the son and he's making it known that that's who he is. But in this, there are some directives for us. Uh, there's a response for us. It's not just a, a theological uh, passage. It is mainly theological, but, but I want to give directives to us because they're here. And the first one is this from verse 25. Respond to the voice of God's Son and live. His voice is the voice of life. We just sang, He's calling us all by name. He's calling us to the cross. And we respond to his voice in faith. And when we do that, we live. Again, verse 24 and 25, you see them together. Because they are together. They're one verse after another. But notice the similarities. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, has passed out of life, out of, out of death into life. And then verse 25, he says, truly, truly again, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. They're, they're very similar, aren't they? But Jesus is making a, a, a point where, in, in verse 24, he says, you must believe in the one who sent me. In verse 25, he's saying, you must believe in me. Because that's what it means to hear the voice of the Son of God. It means to respond to Him in faith. If you believe in the Father then, and you believe in Him properly, then you must believe in the Son and all who that He is and all that He has done. If you believe in Jesus, you cannot just believe in Jesus and not believe in the Father. It is a package deal. You know why? They are one. They are equal. Jesus is God. And He begins with this truly, truly. Um, he just said it in verse 25, 24. He said it back in verse 19. There, there are 25 instances of this in the book of John. And whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, the old verily, verily, I say unto you, he's saying, listen up. What I'm saying is important. So he has these two verses, the only place I know of in, in the book of John, where he does it twice in a row. This is important stuff. To respond to the voice of the Son of God so that you might have eternal life spiritual life and he says an hour is coming and now is now jesus uses the the term the hour in numerous ways mainly in the book at the end of uh, his life it's used of his passion his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his his ascension into heaven that is the hour of uh, of redemption for us and his suffering his passion on our behalf but he used this same phrase with the woman at the well. Remember, he said, uh, woman, believe me, listen up. An hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There is coming a time and it is fulfilled even right now that you can worship the Father in spirit and, and in truth. And he's saying the same thing here. There is coming a time... But it is being fulfilled right in the present tense, this very day, where if you believe in the Son, if you hear His voice, if you respond in faith, you have eternal life. And He puts it this way, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, He is looking forward to, in a few verses, and we get there, He's also talking about the, the voice of the Son of Man when he will call all people to resurrection. So here is what theologians call um, a realized eschatology, or they sometimes call it the already and not yet. Eschatology is the study of last things from the word eschaton, which means last, the last days. 
And eschatology is the study of the last days, a prophecy. And there are certain truths that will come true in that day that are true right now. They are already true, but they are not yet fully realized and fully come to pass. Right now, today, you realize your salvation by faith in Christ and responding to him. But it is you are not fully redeemed until the day that he returns. There is a, a far fulfillment of that that we will all take part in. But verses 24 and 25 go together because Jesus is taking the truth of the son's equality and he's demonstrating how it applies to, to eternal life. This is his mission. The mission of the Trinity to bring eternal life to those who believe. And this is a spiritual truth that is now being applied So how do people hear his voice? When he says the dead will hear, how does that happen? How do the dead, the spiritually dead, hear his voice? Later on, in a few chapters, Jesus will say this also, talking to the the Pharisees. In chapter 10, Jesus answered them, "I, I told you, you don't believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Eternal security. My Father has given them to me. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then he says, I and the Father are one. He, sa- he makes the same argument as, as chapter 5. Those who hear my voice have eternal life because they are equal, I am equal with the Father, and the Father and the Son gives them that eternal life. And we hear that call of salvation. We have six kids And in those six pregnancies, actually we had seven pregnancies, but in those six live births, when Tara's tummy got large enough and the baby was moving around, I'd get down and talk. Dads, did any of you do that? Talking to that baby in the womb and, and, and say, this is your dad, I can't wait to see you, and praying for them and telling them about Jesus. And of course, Tara was always talking to the baby in the womb. Some of you mothers can attest to that. Even if you didn't do that, you know when that baby was born, and as a newborn, maybe in the first few days or the first couple of weeks, you're standing by the crib talking to someone else, and the baby's head turns where? Toward you. Recognizing your voice. And in the same way, those sheep who belong to Jesus, whom He redeems, we hear His voice, we hear the Savior calling, and we respond in faith. It's a television program that Tara and I have loved watching recently. It's on, on PBS, and it's called Spy in the Wild. Anybody seen this? It's, it's fantastic. And, and they, in nature, they have made these, um, these robot, robotic animals to go out into the wild, monkeys and hippopotamuses and turtles and snakes and, and uh, puffins and hummingbirds and rabbits and uh, penguins and all sorts of animals and they put them out and they're robotic and they make the same sounds and the animals come up and and poke at them and, and and get close to them and it is fantastic and the last episode we watched were about the king penguins in the antarctic and they are some of the tallest they get to be about three feet tall and when the chicks on this island are about uh three or four months old Um, the parents run out of food. By the way, on this island, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these penguins. And the parents feed these chicks, the fathers and the mothers, from beak to beak. They run out of food, and so the, the, the parents jump in the ocean and swim about a thousand miles for four months, engorging themselves on fish, And four months later, they come back to the island where those hundreds of thousands of chicks are waiting. And they all look the same. And they're just spread everywhere. And these penguins waddle up and they, and, and, you know, with some miracle of of evolution, ha ha, um, (laughs) these 
the, the, the fish, there's an, an enzyme in their stomach that keeps the fish fresh from the, from the day that they swallowed it. Only God could do that. And they feed them beak to beak. But, but they come up out onto the, 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 the shore and it looks hopeless. How am I going to be, be united with my chick? And they start calling out and calling out and calling out. And the chicks are calling out and calling out and pretty soon they find each other. How can this be? God does that. If it's true in the animal world, if it's true in the, the human world, how much more true is it in the spiritual world that He calls your name and you respond by faith? And that's our lesson here, that verses 24 and 25 are much more than a statement of fact. They're an invitation for you to believe. It's an invitation for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe? Will you respond? Do you hear him calling your voice and have you responded in faith? So that is the directive from those two verses. We have to respond to him calling to us. And then in verses 26 and 27, here is another directive. Worship the Son of Man as Creator and Lord. Worship the Son of Man as Creator and Lord. I know the word worship is not in verses 26 and 27. There's no command that is found there. It is, uh, these two verses are purely theological and they are mind-numbing and to a certain extent. They are difficult to understand. And when theology is deep, sometimes our greatest response is worship. But it describes the Father and the Son as they are. Verse 26 says, For just as... Why can the Son give spiritual life? Why does he call out and why do people respond in faith? Because just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now for the Jews, the idea that there was life in the Father, they, that was just a given for them. And so that is the premise of Jesus' argument here. Just as the Father has life in himself, and the, the Pharisees are tracking, well, we, of course we believe that. They believe that God the Father was eternally self-existent, that he was the giver of all life, not just spiritual life, but animal life and plant life and human life, the, the life of the birds, the life of the animals, the life of human beings. He breathed life into all things. He is the source of all life because he is eternally self-existent. That's the premise that Jesus is making to them. And then he says, even so, he gave to the Son to also have life in himself. He gave him life in himself, and he also gave him the authority to execute justice. Not just spiritual life was he able to give, but all life. Acts 17, 28, you know what it says, For in him we live and move and exist. We get our existence from the self-existent one. He passes on the idea of existence to us. We didn't exist and then we did exist. Why? Because he exists the idea of being, the idea of existence, the idea of aliveness. It comes because he is existent, self-existent, because he is the eternal being before all beings. And he gives being to us because he is the, the source of all life and he passes on that aliveness to us. We can't have life from something that was not alive we can't have being from something that did, was not being. We can't have existence from something that did not exist. He is the eternally existent one. And so we derive our very existence and our aliveness and our being from him, Jesus. And his argument in this whole passage is that he's equal with the Father. And so he too has life in himself.
Now, Jesus possessed this life eternally. He didn't not have it, and then it was given to him. That does not make any sense. This is a description of an eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. They are co-eternal. And the Son, yes, is in submission to the Father. That's the way the Trinity is designed. But they have the same essence from all eternity. There is this eternal equality with God the Father. And it is hard for us to understand. And and Jesus uses uh, human language to describe for us something that is incomprehensible. But this is part of the divine mission being played out. The Father sends the Son. The Son dies for us. And then the Spirit comes back and He embodies Christ in His church. All three have different missions and different different part. He is the Creator. How do we get that from this verse? Verse 26. We need to go back to the very beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was God before time began. He eternally existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a tripersonal God, the triune God. In the beginning, before everything existed, He was in the beginning. Verse 3, He's Creator. All things came into being through Him. Remember who we're talking about? The Word. Later on, he's going to say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, the eternally existent one, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on human flesh for humanity. But he's the creator. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He already had that life in himself. So when verse 26 says, Jesus gave him, or the Father gave him to have life in himself, it is, it is more of a, an official recognition or a confer, conference upon him or a delegation to him in an official sense because he already existed with those, those uh, essential qualities of deity. In him was already the life. He could not have He could not not have life and have it given to him. So he's creator, but he is also Lord. The Son of Man is Lord. He has the authority to execute judgment. Daniel 7, uh, Daniel is given this great uh, uh, vision in heaven. And he says, I kept looking in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days. This is the Father and the Son. This is the Son before his incarnation. This is the Son of Man who would take on human flesh. When did this happen? You see, that's the problem when we start talking about God with whenness. In time, it gets all timey-wimey. Yes, it does. Because he exists outside of time. And we, if we use human language to try and pinpoint when, when all these things happened, we're lost. Our ball is lost in the weeds. And we have to expand our minds to see the, the infinite greatness of God and the, inf, the eternality of Jesus himself. Yes, he took on human flesh in time and space. But this is, we don't know when this happened. He saw it happen. But he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. You see, it's like an inauguration or uh, um, some kind of an official public declaration of the Son of Man at this point and what his mission is. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him, worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. He is Lord. The Son of Man is the Lord of all, over all nations and kingdoms and peoples and tongues and ethnicities, and they're all the same before him. He doesn't say he's the Lord of the, of the brown race and the white race and the whatever race. All nations and, te- and people and tribes and ethnicities 
And they are, we're all equal before him. Every single one of us. But it's because he is Lord. The focus must be upon him and not us and our differences. It should be on us and our likenesses that we are all created in his image. Every single one of us. Son of man is, is Lord of all. And this is this public bestowal upon the Son of Man, even before his, in, in, uh, his incarnation, that he is going to demonstrate this lordship. You know what lordship consists of? It consists of power. We, we talk of, of uh, God as being omnipotent. He is all power. Sovereignty is another way of saying that he is, he is powerful to, to be in charge of all events in all ages at all times. So he is, he is powerful. He has that might. But he also has authority. And he has the authority to judge. You know why he has the authority to judge? Because part of lordship authority is he determines what is true, what is right, and what is wrong. All ethics and morality come from him and his person because he has that authority as God to tell us you ought to live this way. You need to live that way. You should not do this and you should not do that. Why? Because I am God and I have the authority to tell you what is right. Because rightness of ethics and morality exists in the essence of Christ himself as the eternal son of God. And then it involves presence. Lordship involves presence. That the Lord comes and dwells among us. And that's what the Son of Man did. He came to dwell in our presence. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us. That's why the end of verse 27 says, And he gave him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Because he took on human flesh. He has an ability to relate to us because he became one of us. He walked where we walk. You know the old saying? You need to walk in my shoes before you judge me. Walk a mile in my shoes. He walked a mile in our shoes. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted in all things, yet without sin. Did he, did he experience racism? Probably. He was a Jew. There was anti-Semitism. He was probably darker skinned than, the, than uh, some of the, the white, more white-skinned uh, Romans. But he was certainly looked down upon as a Jew. That's racism. That's anti-Semitism. But he has... He has come to understand what your plight is like and everything that you go through in life. And as it says in, in, in uh, Hebrews, it says, uh, We do not, not have a high priest, the Son of Man, who cannot sympathize with us, but one who is tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. He sympathizes with us. That word sympathize means that he feels with us, he experiences with us all that we go through. And he knows your weakness. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failings. And yet he is the one who went through, goes through it with you, and yet he did not sin. And so, therefore, we do not have to sin because he is the Son of Man. You know, you've heard me say this before to you that um, when... Just because you have had an experience doesn't mean you know exactly how another person feels. And so when someone uh, is in grief that you are aware of, you can't say, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. We have been here at the beginning of August. We will have uh, completed 15 years at Valley Bible Church. In our 15 years, I've, I've done a lot of funerals and a lot of memorial service. But also I'm acquainted with grief beyond that because in, in our own family we have lost eight close family members, including my mother and my oldest sister and my oldest brother. And had a beloved aunt who died just a couple of weeks ago that I couldn't go to her funeral because of the lockdown. But I, I do not say, and I know that this is true, if I, if, uh, 
a husband in our church loses his wife or a wife in our church loses her husband, I cannot say to them, I should not say to them, I know exactly how you feel because my mom died. It's not the same. Everyone is different. My point is this. There is one who does know exactly how you feel because he feels it with you. He experiences it with you. I can't say, I don't know what it's like to to live as a black man in America. I don't know what it's like to live as a king in America. Or a disabled person, or a blind person, or as a woman. I've not, nor will ever be any of those. All I have is my experience, and that's why we always point people back to Jesus. That they would see him as the one that they can look to who understands what it's like to to face injustice. He is the final answer, not us. We can try and understand. We should listen to people, but we cannot experience their plight. Years ago, uh, one of my sons reminded me of this this week, and um, that when we moved to Hawaii which is a very multicultural place, but our, our two oldest sons went to school out in town, as they say, um, at a public school, and they were minorities. And it was good for them. A couple of toe-headed, you know, <laughs> lily-white-skinned kids amongst all the, uh, the, the Koreans and the Filipinos and the Japanese and the black and brown and every color in Hawaii that exists there. Did they experience some prejudice? Yeah. I think it was good for them to know that. But you know what? It's not the same of having to carry that with them the rest of their life because they come back to America and there's like most other folk, right? So we can't say, none of us, I know exactly how you feel, but the Son of Man does. So our lesson coming back to who he is as having life in himself, that he is the creator and that he is the Lord. Our lesson is we must see and worship the Son as creator God and Lord. That's how we worship him. None of this nonsense about him being this... He, he, he teaches these really uh, entertaining stories and he does tricks with fish and bread and, and he's a moral teacher and this is... You know, he, yeah, he's a pretty great guy. No, he is the Lord. And he will execute judgment. That's how he comes back as a judge. Do you realize that people make judgments about Jesus? I judge him to be just a moral teacher. I judge him to be uh, uh, someone who should be revered. They judge him now, but he will judge them last. Ken Boa puts it this way. You have to figure out if you want to gamble your eternal destiny, assuming that Jesus is wrong and you are right. You've judged him to be wrong. You've judged him to just be a man. You've judged him to be just a moral teacher. Are you willing to wager your eternal destiny that you are right and Jesus is wrong? I hope not. So we worship him as the creator God and as the Lord of the universe. And then in verses 28 through 30, it comes down to the real judgment part of this, coming more into focus. Remember that the gospel has eternal consequences. Remember this. We think of the gospel having eternal consequences for us. Yes, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. There's another side to the coin that we need to remember that not all are saved and what happens to them. The gospel has eternal consequences. Jesus says, do not marvel at this, that I am the giver of life, that I will judge one day, that people hear my voice and I give them uh, 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 spiritual life. Don't marvel at that. You know why? For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth. He calls some, a time is, an hour is coming and now is, he calls some to spiritual life, a time is coming 
when he calls all from the grave. Everyone who has ever lived and died will be called from the grave. And notice what he says. They will hear his voice and they will come come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. This is a little talked about theology that all people are raised. We think of, uh, uh, we do a, go to a funeral or a memorial service and we talk about the resurrection because it's hope and the, that believer who died will one day be raised from the dead and will be reunited with them. And Easter Sunday, it's all about the joy of the resurrection because we too will be raised with him. But even those who do not know him will be raised physically. Did you know that? Everyone who ever lived and ever died will be raised physically. Some, those who hear his voice, raised to eternal life. Those who said no to his voice. To a resurrection of judgment. That's difficult, isn't it? But the gospel has consequences It is good news for those who hear. But for those who do not believe, it is the stench of death, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Because it is is a proclamation of judgment that people do not do good deeds. By the way, Jesus is in no way saying that salvation is on the basis of good deeds because he, he says, has said so far in the book, what has he said so far? Uh, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe on his name. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but, but have eternal life. 524 that we, we saw this morning. He who believes in him. And him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Eternal life is not, is not caused by our good works. It is, uh, it, it, eternal life causes our good works. Good works are the result of our salvation. We were dead and we've, we listened to the voice of the one who's calling us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were all by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, we have been saved. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he he created beforehand, before the foundation of the world, that we would walk in them. This is, is a wonderful truth of Christianity that when, when someone is spiritually dead and they, they, Jesus calls out to them and they respond in faith, they're made alive. The Spirit of God dwells in them. They have a new nature. They have a new life. The old has passed away. How can you not be different? How can your life not be changed with those incredible spiritual truths placed upon your soul? Of course you will change. But it is the result of your salvation, not the cause of it. But unfortunately, those who do not believe will be judged for their deeds. It's a very sad and difficult thing. Then he says in verse 30, summing up what he has said so far, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge And my judgment is just. Isn't it good to know that there is a just judge? There is one who is always right and always fair and always equitable. 
He says, this is because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I can do nothing of my own initiative. It's not a matter of ability that he can't do it. It's a, it's a matter of impossibility. It's a matter of co-equality and co-essence because he is one with the Father. Of course, all he can do is his Father's will. Tempted as the Son of Man to follow his own way, yes. But in the end, he do, all that he does, he does in tandem with the Father. But he is a just God. And so here are several lessons to, to close out here. There are only two kinds of people. There is not white, brown, black, Asian, Hispanic. You know, there are only two kinds of people. Those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead. There's only one race, the human race. And some respond to the voice of the Son of God and some do not. We must seek mercy on their behalf. Because if they get justice, they will get judgment. We received mercy because Christ was judged for us. And that's what we must seek on behalf of others because the gospel has eternal consequences. Second of all, just as Jesus did not work independent of the Father, neither can we work independent of Jesus he and the Father is one, and we are one with Christ. Not that we become God, but he lives in us, and we as the body of Christ, we have to work in, uh, in tandem with him in the same way that he works in tandem with the Father. We can do nothing of our own initiative. We must not seek our own will. We must seek the will of the Father, and we must seek justice too. What is the will of the Father? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Treat all people with equality and with justice and with love as Jesus did. That is how we are to treat people. And the last lesson is there is a just judge. And in this we can rest in the midst of this turmoil. And I know your, your heart and your soul has been troubled and you wondered, is our nation going to fall apart? I don't know. It could. But Christ will be on the throne as creator and Lord. That we can trust in. There will be justice for all, but again, we must seek God's mercy, mercy for those who do not know him. We can't trust the world system, can we? Have you, have you find, are you finding that out? Can we, tr can we trust the justices, the chief justice? Can we trust anybody in that, that whole chain of command? It is systemic with sin. And we are never to place our confidence in human judges and governors and presidents and kings because there is one judge of all. And that, again, gives us hope. Because if you're wringing your hands that the, the, the leaders aren't doing what they should do or the police aren't doing what they should do or people aren't doing what they should do, yeah, that's the world. That's why Jesus came. And our hope is in him. We're going to have communion to declare our unity together. And so I want you to get your, your cup and the, the wafer, the bread together as the worship team comes up. You know the story of the, the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son. When the young man comes back. His father says this, For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. He heard the voice of the Son of God and he responded and he came to life. John Newton, who wrote this uh, great song, Amazing Grace, was a slave trader. You know that. 
He came to Christ, and when he came to Christ, he realized the evil of the slave trade and the racism that under, uh, was the underpinning of it, and he repented of that, and he became an abolitionist, and he got to see that in England, that uh, the, the slave trade was, was, uh, became illegal. But his real message was one of salvation. The reason he could see all people as equal was because of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Last week... Tara said when she was sitting in here, all I could see when I looked up at the front was the cross. Because it is the only thing that does not, have, that does not change in all of this. The only thing that does not change. As we sang earlier, you're calling us, Lord. You're calling us to the cross. And when we partake of the Lord's table, we are saying, we have been judged we have been judged at the cross. Our sin was judged. Our son, the son of God, took our judgment upon himself so that we are one. And we're shown mercy instead of judgment. Injustice. I'm going to sing. Instrumental. Yes, instrumental, and then we'll, we'll partake. So as the um, worship team is, is playing, would you take a moment just to consider your own heart before God in the area of justice? In the area of your, your heart before him, have you responded to his name? He's calling us all by name. Respond by faith and live. Father, we thank you for this bread we hold in our hands that Jesus really lived on this earth and suffered on our behalf and he broke it and he said, do this in remembrance of me. He also gave us this cup representing the fact that his very life was poured out as a judgment on our behalf and your wrath was poured out upon him. God, we thank you for a plan of salvation that calls us from death to life. And we thank you for the shedding of blood. For it washes away all of our sins. And as we partake of this together, we declare that we are one in Christ. And may we embody that in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in our families, wherever we are. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please?